You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. For those of you listeners who know my background a bit, you might remember the stories of my first few jobs after college. From being a mall cop to selling makeup door to door, I realized that I had skills that were being underutilized and that these minimum wage jobs couldn't support me or last forever. I spent years going through YouTube, reading books, listening to podcasts, and taking enough online courses to reinvent myself as a professional copywriter and digital marketer. Years later, thanks to my side hustles and drive, I've worked with national news outlets, multi-million dollar tech startups, nonprofits, and celebrities to build their brands and drive sales. None of this could have happened if I didn't develop in-demand skills. I had to do this alone, but you don't have to. You have Hustlers University 2.0. Hustlers University 2.0 is a community where you can learn real skills to earn money online today, starting with side hustles you can use to elevate your game. I'm not just an advocate for Hustlers University. I'm also a student. Every professor is verified to be making 10K to 500K monthly in their selected field. You get full resources, lesson plans, and an active community of thousands of other Hustlers University students working on skills such as stock analysis, cryptocurrencies, e-commerce, copywriting, which was my favorite course, one I actually went ahead and took last month. And as a copywriter of seven years, I even took a ton out of that, including some of the resources I was able to take over to my day job. You also learn freelancing, financial planning, affiliate marketing, business management, and so much more. If you're tired of depending on a boss who hates you to deliver your paycheck or have learned since the lockdowns that controlling the source of your income is vital to your individual freedom, sign up for Hustlers University 2.0 today using the link in the show notes. I'll see you there. Martinez. All right, we're 
gonna go ahead and jump into today's episode where the parallel economy is really showing how far it's willing to go to fight the status quo. I am your host, as always, Ramsey W. Martinez. Do me a quick favor, follow me over on Instagram. We've got a growing Instagram page over there, OTR underscore Remzo. That's OTR underscore Remzo. Um, I want to first off say thank you if you have followed that page. I, I wanted to start a new Instagram page for a while. Um, one, because I it, it's for the same reason I have two Facebook accounts. I have one for friends and family, and then I have one for everybody. Um, Instagram was getting kind of that way where I felt kind of uncomfortable showing like, you know, personal private family photos and stuff like that. Like, and real, realistically like photos of my dogs and cats. And, um, I, I felt awkward promoting some of my products and my content on there because I don't want to feel like I'm spamming people who already get enough of me regularly that way. I felt like I needed to kind of separate that because I don't like, I don't like it when family and friends feel obligated to support things I do. It's like if they want to see that content, they'll go out and go out of their way to do it. I don't want them to ever feel like I'm pitching to them or trying to sell them anything. So I went ahead and started the uh, the OTR on the run underscore Remzo account because I wanted to really have a place where I could chill, like chill bigly, bigly shilling, and uh, you know post things on there that. I probably wouldn't feel comfortable showing to my friends and family. Not that I'm ashamed of it, but because, you know, there's a time and a place for that type of stuff and, um, you know, who I am in real life and who I am when I'm really trying to, like, push my skills and stuff. It's not that I'm two different people. It's that there's a time and a place for that type of stuff, and I don't want people to feel like each time they see something from me, especially if they are, like, you know, personally connected with me, I don't want them to constantly feel like they're just being exposed to that. So we've had a lot of fun at that page. Uh, I've enjoyed getting to really experiment with more, with more video stuff. Um, speaking of video, we have not been able to upload to the We Are Libertarians YouTube channel. As many of you know, about a year ago, the channel got nuked, and we do have some ability to post things, except now it's it's gotten more difficult. And, uh, you know, I tried going over to Odyssey to, you know, have an alternate YouTube platform, but I'm not really happy with their credit system where basically you have to have earned or paid for certain things that will allow you to upload videos. It's like this, um, I'm, I'm not very happy with that. Maybe that's something I just don't understand, but that's why, you know, with episode 200, I said, we're going to start doing more regular video content in a way I kind of have, but it's not like the full video versions of the shows that you wanted. Also, I have guests that don't like being on video, so I didn't want to make you think that every episode is going to be in video form because, you know, for stuff like this, I've never been a fan of just like staring, staring at somebody talk to talking to a mic. I don't like that. I know a lot of you don't like that. I felt it would be a waste of time. So if you want to see some video content that kind of makes sense, like the short sound bites and stuff like that with Julia and Matt and, um, uh, uh, Jason Stapleton and others, you can go ahead and see all of that at OTR underscore Remzo. So now on to today's topic. By the way, somebody mentioned, hey, your audio sounds better. Thank you. The, the last couple of weeks, um, I was experimenting with a new microphone. And microphone, I can barely talk. That It doesn't matter how, how good your audio sounds if you can't talk. Microphone. And, um, I, I was not happy with it. It came with a whole bunch of, um, 
you know, software that I could use, and I was not happy of that either. So I spent a bunch of money on it only to stop using it. Um, I, I still have it. I haven't returned it. I have a feeling that maybe one day it'll serve a better purpose. But I ended up uh, not necessarily downgrading, but moving down from the price point that I was working at because, as many of you know, my, my Rodecaster Pro was just something is up with it. I think there's an internal flaw that um, is maybe out of my control that was leading to that hissing sound. And then with the Personas, it, it was giving more of a muffled effect. And then with my regular, what I call my travel USB mic, you know, it just it doesn't deliver the greatest sound quality. So I actually went and I bought uh, an Audio-Technica 2005. I actually use these for my day job. And I've always really liked these USB mics. And um, I've got like an additional pop filter in front of it and everything. But I was like, you know what? Like this is perfect. So I, I went ahead and ordered this. It was way cheaper than the Personas. I would argue it's probably one of the better quality uh, USB microphones if you want to jump into that. But with the Rodecaster, I was using an XLR cable and stuff like that. But you know, while I believe that the audio quality is good, if there's an electronic flaw inside that was causing problems, there's no point in trying to figure that out. And I have to... I have more stuff to get done than I have time to try and deal with that. So my thing is like, what's the best of both worlds? And, um, you know, this audio technica 2005, it's, it's reliable. I love it. Gets you everything you need. I went ahead and signed up for an Auphonic, uh, subscription. So that way it's dealing with more of the audio leveling throughout. So, you know, if you ever think, oh, Remso's gotten lazy, remember some of the episodes where I was just recording through my laptop, I was recording in hotel rooms, I was recording in my car. We don't call the show on the run just just because it sounds cool. It's because I try and do the show as often as possible wherever I am, and uh, hopefully you've been you've been happy with all of that. But getting on to today's show, we've been talking about the parallel economy for the past year and a half, this concept that you're going to have a woke corporate economy, and then you're going to have an economy for the rest of us. You're not necessarily going to have giant mainstream competitors, but you're going to have the conservative version of this, or the liberal version of this, or the libertarian version of that. I think it's, I think it's great because it shows um, the free market in action. It, it definitely plays on, you know, where can you align your money with your values? I, I think more competition is always great because you should feel comfortable where you spend your money. I also think it's outright horrible because what it also does is it forces people to basically interact less with each other and there's less of a focus on actual quality of service and products and it's more about, you know, social posturing. It, it's more about virtue signaling on the left and the right. And uh, I, I'm I'm somewhere in the middle. Um, I, I certainly don't hide the fact that you know I am a I'm a libertarian. I worked in politics. I, I've pretty much be, because I've aligned. And, and this is where and, and this is where I, I will say that I'm. It's this might rub some of you the wrong way, but if it does, whatever. It's just the truth. I'm one of the few libertarian podcasters that one uses my real name. And two, actually works within the fields that I talk about. Um, everything in my personal and professional life is aligned with my politics. It comes with all the cons of that, and there are many downsides to that. And there also comes, there also comes many pros. And, um, you know, I, I try and let people know that, listen, whether you're left, right, in between, whether you believe in this or that, I don't care. I'll take your money. 
But for the most part, a lot of the people that want to work with me are people that agree with me already and they feel more comfortable with me. Uh, clients, customers, uh, students, that type of stuff. Like, y- you should be able to go where you feel the most comfortable with the person. And, uh, you know, if it's because you like them because of reasons adjacent to the product or service they're providing, fine. If it's because of that, okay. It's all about whatever floats your boat. Um, the, the reason why I kind of preface with this is because Jeremy's Razors has put out probably what I'll describe as one of the greatest video advertisements I've ever seen. And yes, this is one of the few times I'm going to say pause the video. I'm sorry, pause the podcast or stop, stop the recording right now. Like if you're listening to me in the car or whatever, pause this. If you have not seen the Jeremy's Razors commercial on YouTube or Facebook, you have to watch it. Because none of what I will say will make any sense if you have not seen this commercial. So please pause right now and go see the Jeremy's Razors ad. You can just type it in like that, Jeremy's Razors ad on YouTube. And it's about three, four minute uh, commercial. And it is hardcore. Like it is, it, it, if, it, if we lived in a fair world, one, Jeremy's Razors wouldn't exist. That, that's what they say straight up. We're only here because of a reaction to market forces. But secondly, just be just based off creativity alone and messaging, it, it did a it did a remarkable job. So you have to go see that. What we're gonna go ahead and cover today are the marketing lessons from Jeremy's Razors as a brand and we'll also kind of be breaking down the advertisement. This is one of those ads where they could probably not make a second ad for probably a year. And they could just keep replaying this and it will pay dividends because it is just so damn entertaining. But with it are some things that you kind of need to understand because one, this will tell you how marketing manipulates you. Marketing is soft manipulation. It's trying to draw upon your interest to convince you to take an action. But it can also go ahead and help you if you're a business owner, you're building a brand and you're looking at how to market your stuff and maybe how to advertise that to people. Now, marketing and advertising often get a little confused. There, there aren't really many ways to differentiate the two, but I try and break it down as simple as possible. Marketing is the why. Advertising is the how. Marketing is identifying what your product is and why it solves a problem for people and why people should pick your product over other products. And advertising is finding the best way to communicate that message. How do you write your copy? Do you do video? Do you do radio? Do you do graphics? Do you do social media? Do you not do social media? It's how you actually get it in front of people. So this takes uh, both of those concepts and it really highlights some key ways that differentiate it as a superior marketing tool and a superior advertising tool. I think some people are really good at their own marketing, but sometimes the advertising doesn't necessarily follow through with the intent and vice versa. I think some people are really good at advertising without really uh, emphasizing those marketing principles to really communicate what the product or service is and why it's superior and why people should go ahead and um, and buy the product or service. So assuming that you have already watched the Jeremy's Razors commercial, 
uh, I want to go ahead and point out six things that I noticed that are good lessons to take from this. And if you've gone ahead and noticed anything, you can go ahead and uh, let's have a conversation. Tweet me at HeyRemzo on Twitter. Message me on Instagram, and maybe I'll do some follow-up videos on that. So OTR underscore Remzo on Instagram. HeyRemzo on Twitter. Because some bastard took Remzo everywhere. So uh, let's go ahead and just jump into the deep end. One... This is great because it it tells you exactly what they're intending to do. They're drawing an immediate comparison. Jeremy's Razors was started because Harry's Razors got mad because the Daily Wire staff made a comment that they didn't like. So because of that, they accused them of spouting hateful rhetoric and they pulled ads from their show. Now, I'm not going to get into that because I don't want to distract from that. It's not a conversation as to whether you agree with the Daily Wire or not or whether you agree with Harry Razors or not. Just understand that this happened because there was a dispute. What's ironic is that I'm a, I'm a Harry's Razors uh, customer. I love Harry's Razors. I love all their stuff. They've never paid for ads on my show. I was buying them for a while. In fact, I actually started buying them because I heard their ads on the Jason Stapleton program when I was in college, and I also heard their ads on the Ben Shapiro show. And what they say up front is that the problem with Harry's was not the quality. In fact, they concede that the quality of Harry's Razors is good. Harry's Razors is probably the most popular um, uh, shaving company for men in America right now. They, I think they've surpassed Gillette. Uh, I could be wrong about that, but you know, people talk more about Harry's than they talk about Gillette. So the, the problem wasn't that there was an issue with the products. There was a misalignment with the quality. The issue was, was that they were unhappy that Harry's razors pulled their ads and then publicly said it's because they don't like uh, certain opinions that were aired on the daily wire. So, that's fine. People people can do that. Now, Jeremy's razors, and Jeremy is Jeremy Boring, the CEO and president of Daily Wire. They've been pushing for the creation of the counterculture, the parallel economy, a economy where conservatives can buy and sell and trade products and services. They've done this by making movies. They've done this through making more of their own products. This is their big move into actual like consumer products outside of just branded merch, tumblers, shirts, that type of stuff. Now they're actually building their own institutions. So originally they started off as news and commentary. Then they moved into entertainment production with their movies. They went ahead and brought on Gina Carano, um, uh, after she got kicked out of the Mandalorian from Disney and she got blacklisted from Hollywood. So now this is their next big step, which is if you're not going to go ahead and uh, advertise with us, if you're saying that our views and the shared views of our listeners and readers and customers is uh, antithetical to you as a, co- as a company and that you don't want our money, fine. What this forces us to do is to go ahead and make our own razor company, which is what they did. Because what they immediately did was they drew a comparison. What they did was they said, the issue isn't the product quality or effectiveness. The issue is that they think that our opinions are wrong. Our opinions are shared by you, the people who support us. Therefore, you are wrong. Therefore, they don't want your money because they think you're rude and toxic and evil and all those things. Therefore, you don't deserve to buy Harry's razors. Now, Gillette 
did this way before Harry's Razors did. Um, Gillette in, I think, 2018, 2019, went ahead and put out uh, a commercial that was targeting toxic masculinity. Now, here's the issue, and this is where I will give Harry's more credit than I will give Gillette. Harry's was not putting out woke corporate you know, propaganda tools that were basically trying to virtue signal into convincing liberals that, you know, if you support this, therefore you should buy our stuff. Harry's never did that. In fact, Harry's marketing and who they place uh, commercials with has pretty much been everywhere. I've seen Harry's Razors advertising on extremely conservative shows. I've also seen them advertise on very liberal shows. They're a razor company. So, the, the fact that they had an issue with the Daily Wire, and I, I might as well just address it. Somebody said boys are boys and girls are girls, which is, I will understand how that's controversial, but it is. They basically said that's a bridge too far. It's anti-trans. It's transphobic. It's all this other stuff, and everything else happened. Um, I, I don't have as much of a problem with that as I do what Gillette did, because Gillette went ahead and said that, traditionally male traits are bad and that anything that is more masculine in nature is toxic. And that that actually really pissed me off. I, I went into becoming a full Harry's convert after that because I don't want to be lectured by my razor. I don't like being lectured by my food. I don't like being lectured by any of my products. The reasons why companies put out these woke propaganda commercials isn't even always because they themselves are trying to align themselves with a message or a point. A lot of the times it's just because they see a current bandwagon or a cultural fad and they think if they jump on that right now and appear as an ally, it will convince those people who are more passionate to align their views of their dollars. So like when Coke goes ahead and puts out these messages about you know diversity and all this other stuff, I don't really, it doesn't bother me. I'm not selling my shares of Coke. I'm certainly not going to stop buying Coke. I know that companies do this because they think that it matters. It's why everyone jumps on the pride flag during pride month. It's why every company starts celebrating certain things. I mean, remember a lot of holidays alone were also kind of thrusted into the forefront of our culture because they found opportunities to go ahead and make more money off of people. That's why I'm not a big fan of Valentine's Day. That's why I'm upset about the corporatization of uh, Christmas. That's why I think that a lot of companies, they didn't they didn't stop pushing Thanksgiving theme stuff because of, you know, what about the Native Americans? It's also because, you know, Thanksgiving is an antithetically non-consumer holiday which is why more people get excited for Black Friday. So they had to replace Black Friday with get you know they they had to replace Thanksgiving more with Black Friday, but now we see that Christmas as a season that you could celebrate starts like almost now after um after uh, after Halloween. So I actually see a time and place where you won't even see mentions of Thanksgiving, not necessarily even because, you know, the the woke mob has gone ahead and killed it, but because companies can't find a way to monetize as much as they used to because it's not the 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 values of thanksgiving go against the values of uh, big corporations but with that said you know like 
with with Gillette doing that, that pissed a lot of people off. A lot of people would never have cared if they tweeted something or if their board put out a memo. But when you start telling your customers that if you match with these things that we deem problematic, you're not worthy of our product, that that causes an issue. And I had a very you know very negative reaction to that, as, as did many people. Many people stopped buying Gillette razors after that, and ironically, they went to Harry's. So with Harry's doing this. They kind of, it would have been better if they had just said, hey, uh, you know, we had a good run, but we're done pulling our ads. The fact that they had to put out a statement, and I don't know if it's because they were forced to because of um, mob pressure or what have you, that's what caused this problem. So what they did was they gave the Daily Wire an opportunity to fill that void and draw a direct comparison. And the comparison has nothing to do with product or quality. It has everything to do with identity. Which brings us to our second point. The Daily Wire, Jeremy's Razors, is tapping immediately into the, activi- the activist customer. The activist customer is somebody who's buying like Tom's shoes, for example. Um, I've had a problem with Tom's forever. My issue with Tom's is that I believe that they're almost entirely activist-driven and they're not necessarily product-driven and that their activist efforts actually create more problems than they are solving. So let's go ahead and give a quick rundown of why I hate Tom's and how this type of activist consumer that people are going after um, doesn't always work out the way that people really intend. So, you know, for, for, for the first off, the Daily Wire, by drawing that comparison to the others, and they do call out Gillette in the commercial too, um, what they're doing is they're tying into the activist consumer. They're basically trying to build a connection between their identity and the consumer's identity. Because now, now what this is, is this isn't we, we are building a better razor. They don't even say the razor is better. I don't even know what the quality of the razor is. But what they do, what they do is they say, if you are against this, if you don't want to support people who don't like you, you should buy from us instead because we, we like you. Now, the activist customer aligning their principles of their dollars in terms of who they support and give their money to, uh, what Tom's did in the mid-2000s was it was founded by two guys who wanted to go ahead and provide jobs and skills training as well as shoes to people in impoverished African countries. And I remember being very touched by the commercials I saw where you had these women who were building and putting together these shoes that they don't look comfortable. They look cheap. And that's the thing. Like they're poorly made and they're made in these third world countries. Um, what you're doing is you're providing them skills, you're providing them job. But then what Tom's did was for every pair of shoes bought, they would go ahead and put money towards providing shoes to individuals in the villages that were, you know, full of people that don't own shoes. Now, one, I also think that's kind of a cultural thing. One, a lot of those cultures, you know, it's not like they live in a world where shoes don't exist. It might be that um, they don't have as much access to shoes as we do in developed countries. But, you know, it was never a problem that they saw. And we're assuming that if they saw that everyone else in the world is wearing shoes, they themselves would want to wear shoes. I think that's kind of a a cultural criticism. I don't necessarily know that that was a a big deal. But, you know, I think most people, 
regardless of where you are, your income, your culture. A lot of people want shoes. I can tell you I lived in Australia for two years, and uh, the whole shoes is optional thing was taken to an extreme. So even in developed countries, you'd see people that don't wear shoes. So that whole thing of, oh, they don't have shoes, therefore we need to provide them shoes. It's like, well, why couldn't you provide them water? Well, why couldn't you provide them other things? Why couldn't you provide them more technical training so they could leave their bush village and go do something else? First, you're even assuming that they see a problem. Maybe it's just a shift in culture, but that's a whole other thing. So what Tom's did was they basically said, we're building these cheaply made shoes and we're going to sell them to you because it's not that you're buying something that's super fashionable or super comfortable. You're buying something that is helping provide something to somebody else. Therefore, you can be a hero without having to risk or sacrifice anything, and it involves little to no work other than pulling out your credit card. So Tom's was extremely popular. People still are really attached to Tom's. But my thing, when I actually saw a pair of Tom's shoes and Tom's sunglasses, because then they got into more fashion apparel, it's like, This stuff is extremely marked up. I am paying an exorbitant amount of money for something that is, one, uncomfortable, and two, not the best quality, and three, they don't even really look that great. Whereas I could go get something way cheaper that checks all those other boxes. But people aren't doing it because of those things. They're doing it because they want to be attached to a story. So Tom's is not known for their products. Tom's is known for their brand, and people want to be associated with that. They're going for that activist customer that wants to change the world, that wants to have a story attached to their stuff. That's not inherently a problem. The problem, though, is that it gets to the point where it's like, how many of these shoes and stuff am I going to buy before I really just want something else? And secondly, what is the problem they're immediately solving? The problem with Tom's shoes is that they actually got to a point where they were delivering so many shoes that people knew that, one, they don't have to work for shoes, and, two, they were going ahead and reselling the shoes that they were getting for free that could have gone to somebody who needed them, and it was creating a dependency factor. That was a big problem. And what they also ended up doing was they ended up laying off a bunch of women because you can only sell so many pairs of those shoes to people. Their customer base actually went down because, you know, people did that one thing. They felt like a hero for five minutes, but they weren't necessarily attached to the long-term problem. The, pe- the person who buys one pair of shoes one time and thinks that they've already changed the world is less likely to want to do anything about it. So eventually those women have to go find other jobs or they're out of work because there's not much demand. The problem wasn't fixed. Because the problem wasn't a lack of shoes. The problem was economic inequality in a developing nation where there are a lot of other problems that uh, you know can be solved and can't be solved. And while Tom's may have filled a temporary need, it was only covering a surface-level issue, and it created more problems as a result of it. But the activist customer doesn't care about it. The activist customer doesn't want to be a hero by actually going and investing time and money and labor and you know heartache and difficulties. They want to feel really good real fast, and they want to say that they did something by only pulling out their credit card. I call it like the anti-vote. You see this in politics. Political messaging and marketing are exactly the same thing. All the fundamentals apply. People are voting for this person because they don't like the other person. 
It's not even because they like the other person. It's because they just really hate that person. It's the anti-vote. So you have people who aren't looking at the product quality or effectiveness. It's an anti-vote. You're not buying Jeremy's razors because it's better or more effective than Harry's. You're buying it because Harry's hates you, therefore you hate Harry's, and Jeremy's razors doesn't hate you, therefore you buy Jeremy's. What this also does is this creates a cult effect. A cult effect goes into many things, pop culture, politics, you name it. It's when you're going to defend something less, less on the effectiveness, less on the quality, less on the outcomes it brings, and you're going to do so because it's antithetical to something else. You know, it doesn't matter how less good, if that's, if that's a proper way of saying it, how less good something is, it's that your values align more. And what I don't like with that is I've seen many, you know, quote unquote, conservative businesses really promote low quality, poorly produced stuff that's not very effective. But what they do to justify it when they get called out is they say, well, at least our values align. As a selfish consumer, I care less about whether my values align with companies, especially when it comes to things I need to work and be good. So they, they're really trying to target that activist customer. The left does it, and the left has done that for many years, and the left does that very well. But, you know, like when Coke was putting out all the woke propaganda on their end, what did people do? They started buying Pepsi. Now, Pepsi wasn't even marketing towards conservatives. Pepsi doesn't even want to be associated with that. But you see how it's just a natural reaction. Assume that Pepsi became the conservative soda, which they didn't, but assume they did. Does that necessarily make things better? Because no one's arguing that you know Coke is better than Pepsi or Pepsi is better than Coke. Some people have that arguments, but that's not, that, that's not the sales competition that they're in. They didn't become conservative soda. It's just that people found an alternative to protest something else something that they probably don't even like as much. You might really love Coke, but now you're drinking Pepsi, so you're depriving yourself of something you like because you're misaligned with ideals. Is that what you really want to be in? Now assume that Pepsi became conservative soda. How does that help them long term? Do they develop as much? Do they do as much research into what people want as much? If they became conservative soda, would then more liberal Pepsi drinkers go over to Pepsi? I'm sorry, go over to Coke? Does that mean that if you're a liberal, you're drinking Coca-Cola, and if you're a, a conservative, you're drinking Pepsi? Is that, one, is that the world we want to live in? There's, I'm not going to say that the idea of an activist consumer or targeting activist consumers is inherently wrong. Um, much like political tools, marketing tools are neither good or bad. The intention is the only thing that matters. But I, I would often say that the cons of that often will outdo the pros in a long-term market environment. Now, what Jeremy's also does, and this is why I love their commercial, is, uh, and, and we'll get to the humor part of it later, but they really kind of lay on this idea that if you're a masculine guy, if you're a traditionally conservative guy, if you're a manly man, you're buying these razors. What they're also doing is they're also doing what every company does to a degree. They're pointing out deficiencies or insecurities in your life. If you wear these clothes, you will feel a million times better. If you buy this product, you will be seen as cooler. If you wear this watch, people will think this about you. 
what they try and do here, because they're targeting a male audience, because men are the ones that buy facial razors. I'm sorry, Harry's, but men are the ones who have to shave. Um, what they are doing is they are going after and targeting an insecurity in their male consumers. You see this with the beautiful models that they have. You see this with all the rock and roll and flamethrowers. You see this with the style. You see this with them saying, you know, who are the type of people that buy Harry's razors, firefighters, police, the guys that killed Osama bin Laden, cowboys. I will say that in that ad when they show that, none of those guys are clean shaven. They all have beards. And the Navy SEAL they show is wearing, um, you know, something over his face. So you don't even see whether he has facial hair or not. I think that's actually a, a, a complaint I'll have is that you should probably show them clean shaven people or people with groomed facial hair instead of people that had a beard. But that, that's just a, that, that, that's a generically objective criticism of the app. But what they try and do is it's not about that, much like it's not about the quality or effectiveness of the razors. It's that manly men wear this because, I'm sorry, manly men use Jeremy's razors because manly men have been kicked out of Gillette and Harry's. Therefore, if you're a manly man or you want to be more of a manly man, they actually say this. I'm not saying you'll look as good as me, but you might look as good as this guy. And they show a guy with like giant biceps and a six pack. All of this is done in jest to a degree, but it does sit in the back of the consumer's mind that one, if people see that I use Harry's razors, they might like me more because they might think that I align with their ideals more. Or maybe I don't want people like me. That's why I don't like. There's a large contingent of people that are trying to earn haters, and I think that's bad because when you're just standing against something, that also makes me question, what do you really stand for? Just trying to obtain haters is not an accomplishment. That's certainly not how I want to live my life. I sincerely hope that's not how you want to live yours. But you know, maybe if you see me with Harry's, I'm sorry, with Jeremy's razors, you'll think I'm manlier. Maybe I will feel manlier and it'll provide a placebo effect. Maybe I will feel more masculine if I'm using Harry's razors. So targeting a customer's insecurity is much like targeting an issue, something that they need solved. You are solving an immediate need, a physical need, like you need a tool to fix something, or you're trying to substitute for an emotional deficiency, something that you are self, you know, you're you're self-conscious about something that you're insecure about. Um, Products and services jump on our immediate physical needs as much as they do our emotional needs. And point number four, it relies on humor. This is a great ad because it's just so damn funny. I've watched it more times than not, even before I even started thinking about doing this episode. It is so damn funny that two, it, it draws two things. One, people like to laugh. Even if, even if like they're the target, they like to laugh. Um, secondly, for more of a branding security side, you know, they, they immediately jump out and say, well, they didn't like an opinion, and that's why this happened. Assuming that there's something in the ad you don't like. Assume there's something in the marketing you don't like. Because they rely on humor. Let, 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 let's pause for a minute. Have you, has anyone ever insulted you, like intentionally? And then they say, well, hey, man, it was just a joke. Get over it. Or, hey, man, like, just laugh. Like, it was just a joke. It wasn't. It's because they know if they say that, then that gives them more of a cop-out. And then that actually gives them more of an opportunity to insult you or make fun of you. Humor in marketing also kind of does that. It also provides 
the company with an opportunity to say, well, if you didn't like that ad, that ad was just a joke. We don't really believe this or we support that or whatever. It provides that cop out. So humor is great because people want to laugh. People want to be entertained. That builds a quicker relationship with people when you can make them laugh. But, you know, from a business side, it also provides an opportunity to say, well, this was satirical. Well, well, this was parody. Well, we didn't really mean this. Didn't you catch the joke? It does that. Um, and then, you know, it, it kind of, to wrap it all together, my final point is that this is the parallel economy pushed to an extreme that I don't think we've ever seen in their life. What we've seen of all the stuff coming out of um, the Disney boardrooms about their uh, progressive agenda meant to essentially indoctrinate children, what we're seeing is that the parallel economy in some cases is necessary, especially if you're really worried about what some of these corporations are intending to do to you without you even realizing it. So the Daily Wire is launching Daily Wire Kids. Now, I've seen this in some of the movies that the Daily Wire has produced. They've produced some really good movies. And it's not necessarily the conservative this. This is what I hated about Christian movies. Um, And and my friend Dallas Jenkins brings this up regularly. It's not good enough to just make the, the conservative this or the Christian that. You have to make something that's genuinely good. And it doesn't always have to be like super in your face political messaging. Well, I think the Daily Wire has done is they're not just, and I think Jeremy Boring said this in a quote in an interview, he's like, we can't just make the things that people want to see are made. We have to make the things that people want. And I haven't bought Jeremy's razors. I don't genuinely think I'm going to buy Jeremy's razors because I'm, one, I have a whole like year's worth of Harry's razors. But, you know, it's like, I don't want to just buy something because it's, it's aligned with my values or because I don't like something else. I want to buy something because I'm getting it at a good price point and it's good and efficient and I like it. If Jeremy's razors came out with a study saying that they were significantly a better product for a better price point than Harry's, then I'd probably go. Then I would probably make the switch. I did that with other things in the past, paying more for this because I'm getting something better out of it for my dollars. That's how I operate. Other people don't operate that way. But, you know, the the parallel economy, if it is to succeed, it can't just be the anti-something. It can't even always rely on that activist consumer because eventually the the reason they're an activist consumer in the first place changes or the or the economy changes. You've got to you've got to make that change to a point. You have to make things that people genuinely want because they actually think it's cool. So that's it. Hope you learned something. Hope you benefited from this. Uh, You can apply these practices in your own business or building your own brand. As always, remember, you can go ahead and reach out to me for a consultation. Go ahead and visit heyremzo.com and fill out the contact box. Let's go ahead and get you moving. Let's go ahead and build your your business, get you in front of people, make you some money, and actually get you a little bit more freedom in your life, a little bit more security. Money isn't the most important thing in the world, but money's the money's connected to all things that are important in the world. So go ahead and check out heyremzo.com. Let's book uh, a consulting session today, a coaching session as well. If you want that, let's go ahead and start a conversation. As always, if you don't want to do that, but you like what we're doing, share the show, share it with a friend. Um, consider leaving us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts throughout Outdoors Amazing Internet. And as always, we'll be back later in the week. Be safe, be good.